Podcast Studios. This, this is the award-winning After 9 with Scott and Kat. Powered by Tony Johal, broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. Hey now. Hello there. What? All over it. Yeah. Yeah. Tight on that Hello, intro. everybody. Welcome to another week of After 9. It's going to be a fun one today because one of our old favorites, Dr. Kieran Moore's back, Cat. Is he a favorite? Is he one of our old favorites? No, he's a... He doesn't... Hmm? I, I have a feeling that the majority of his day is stick-handling what the province wants versus what the public want versus what the medical community wants. And sure. I don't think for a second it's easy to no. try and juggle all those things. Hell no. That's a, by the way, that's like a job from hell in my opinion. Oh, there's no upside with to the it credentials. except that massive salary that comes with yes. it. Yes. But I will, uh, I'll play a little bit of Kieran Moore's announcement from this morning later on because he did say a couple of things. They're going to ramp down surgeries again at some hospitals because we're in a, a weird spot right now where it's not COVID. It's not. The, the COVID is not the, the issue here. Now there's a big issue with RSV. Mm-hmm. RSV is this childhood virus, and I've actually mm-hmm. seen it firsthand and talked to a number of educators who have seen it in their classrooms. Yeah. And it seems to present very similar in most kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people come out with like an outer ear infection. Yeah. Some people get like the, the pneumonia type fluid in their lungs. And it, it doesn't seem nice by any means. I've heard some kids temporarily get a fever up to like 103 or 104. And then it goes back down with Tylenol and all the other things that, that kids we can't take. get. And Sorry, that I'm still so frustrated on that though. That's a big. That's one of the biggest problems, and one of the reasons why it's out is why they can't handle the amount of people coming in because there's no Tylenol on the shelves to give to child. Well, thank you for saying that because you know, as much as people want to, certain people just based on their political ideology will blame the doctor for this. The fact that sick kids is a little over capacity right now. I, I think that that's really short-sighted. Uh, listen, if, if this isn't a COVID thing, if this is an RSV thing, which we do deal with in any other year when it comes up, then let's look at why this is a problem. Do people have regular access to a family doctor? Doesn't mm-hmm. seem that way. Yeah. If your doctor can't get you in until Wednesday or Thursday and you've got a kid at home with a fever of 104, you're probably going to panic and run to the emergency room. That's what a lot of people are doing. When they can't get basics like children's Tylenol, children's Advil, they're probably going to go to the hospital where they do have a supply of that. There's a lot of reasons that people are flooding the emergency rooms right now, particularly for children's illnesses that don't necessarily have to do with masking. And yet people are still screaming for a mandate to be brought in. And I don't understand why. The doctor poured cold water on that for now, but he did leave the door open to mandating it in the future, but he also said that was as far as he would go, suggesting no lockdowns this time. We've been lied to before, so we'll circle back on that, mm-hmm. and we're going to play a bit of Kieran Moore coming up in the second half of this episode of After 9, because it's worth listening to, and we have to have a debate about in the immune debt. And this is something that a lot of the Canadian doctors, the lockdown enthusiasts, the ones who want everybody mandated to death, they're all beating the drum saying this is bullshit. It's not true. There's Mm -hmm. no such thing as an immune debt. I don't know. I just read an article the other day in The Lancet from U.S. doctors, children's doctors, pediatricians that say the immune deficit is real. And the fact that kids have been masked for two years and sheltering themselves from various social situations and not in class has created an immune debt in that they haven't been exposed to a lot of the viruses and germs that we always come in contact with 
We can always fight them off easily, but if you don't have exposure when you're young, they become a little more problematic when you become older. And it seems like that's what's happening. That's what pediatricians in America are saying is happening. Mm -hmm. They're calling it an immune debt. I don't know why the science is different south of the border than here, but Canadian doctors are saying that's not true. It doesn't matter. That's not the way it works. You don't understand the immune system. I'd just like somebody to give us clear, concise facts because I've got American doctors and Canadian doctors here. And frankly, I don't know which doctors to believe, but it does make sense to me that if you walk around with a mask all the time, preventing yourself from regular daily exposure to the viruses that we all encounter, you're not going to have immunity to it. That's how it works. You take in a virus, your body processes it, boom, you've got some immunity, you move on. It doesn't seem like that's what's happened in the last two years. So we'll get to that coming up. First off, let's talk about Nick Cannon for a second. My old buddy Nick is, oh, is Nick. having another child cat. Yeah. Nick Cannon is going to have another I baby. I think there was three, so this would be one of three more to come by the end of this year. Is that correct? I think there's two more or at least one more on the way after this. So let me ask you, he's got 12 kids now? I think 12. From a, at least 11 different moms, nearest I can tell. Yeah, I th- um, maybe 10 Yeah, moms. one of them is having the second, it was Alyssa Scott um, already had, yeah, second, yeah, about there though. Yeah, like I think that roughly, sure. I have so many questions and I'm going to ask the questions to you and I don't know if you know the answers to these, but do your best. Okay. Does he have some sort of a sickness that makes him want to run around constantly impregnating other women like some sort of a forest animal? (laughs) I don't think that he would say he has a sickness. He did explain himself and he has like his own podcast and and things where he explains his thoughts on it. He wants to populate the earth with, you know, people with certain morals and things like that. Like, Like a lot of us when we have kids, right? We have to ask ourselves, why do you want to have kids? His question's a little bit different and his answers are obviously different to those questions. It's more like, I want to I want to do this and I want to do this a lot with a lot of different women. I, I have a lot more, like for me, it's a lot more legal questions, you know? Uh, yes. Like, like do these women sign? And, and how does that work? Do these women sign things? Like when I, when Nick Cannon decides, okay? So he sees a lovely woman. He finds out she's also very intelligent, plus she's attractive and she's interested in having a baby. Does he say, okay, great. So uh, here's my lawyer, my lawyer, Jim, and you're going to meet with Jim and Jim's going to show you some paperwork and you cannot speak on it in this way or that way. Um, If you decide that you hate me, you want to take my baby away. Oh no, because we're going to put this deal in place. Like, I mean, what are the deals surrounding it? And are are they allowed to see other people with the baby? That's what I'm wondering. Like all these legalities, like are you allowed to even stop someone from doing that? Well... Okay, so I'm just curious too because I don't think anyone's ever asked that or if he's addressed it. He's not marrying them. It's no. not polygamy. And I'm want like does he just pick up a girl in a bar and take her home and they have sex and that's when he has the whole one of the things I like to do is impregnate different women. So I'm thinking no. that if this is for you, then maybe you talk to my lawyer and and my lawyer will draft up some paperwork yeah. and and if you're good with that, then we do this again, but we're going to do it unprotected and we're going to have a baby. And then there's that other question. I'm wondering that too. Is part of this deal that they can't see other guys? Or if they are seeing other guys, can those other guys be around Nick's kids? Mm Because I'm not sure. And how can, this is part of the reason that I think this is, I don't want to judge another parent. Not how I would do it. The way Nick Cannon's doing it. But there's certain things that, a child really wants their parent there for and present for when they play their first Timbit soccer game, when they have their grade 
eight graduation, when mm-hmm. they go on their first date, there's prom. I have no doubt that these kids are never going to want for money. Nick Cannon is loaded. But are they ever going to be able to look out into the crowd at their their kindergarten Christmas concert and know dad's out there watching? Because dad's got a lot of kids that he's got to mm-hmm. attend to here. How could he possibly be at 12 different kindergarten Christmas concerts <laughs> or 12 different t-ball games or whatever? Well, the fascinating part about that is this year, especially 2022 for Nick Cannon, he's become a father to many kids this year. And all of so all of them are the same age. So, I mean, you make a good point in that all of those all of those kids will be going through milestones at the same time or similar timing. Right. Uh, First, like even the baby stuff comes to mind. First steps, first words, all of those things. And then, of course, you do get to when they're older and there's kindergarten graduation and there's all the things that that your children will go through. You show up to their recitals and their their games and all those things are so true. And because they're around the same ages, I do wonder how that will play in. And do they have to all live in a certain area? Like, what if one of Nick Cannon's baby mamas was like, you know what? California, let's say, ain't for me. I would like to go move to Alaska. Is that written down somewhere that she's not allowed? This is why I go back to these. Like, there's got to be some form of a deal. And can you even do that with a person? Like, can you even, I guess you can't really force their hand and force them to live in a certain place. Or can you? And do you give them money? Or do you give the money to do it? Is he is he paying the money? We all know that supporting the child is one thing. I'm talking about paying straight up. Is he paying the money on top of it? Like to keep silent or to um, just stay with him and only him? Can or... they have kids with other guys? Exactly. I mean, there's so I have a bajillion questions and I'm sure he's not going to answer all of them. I'm sure he would never answer all of them. But what's illegal and what's not? Is everything legal here? Could is he... everything over the table and not under the table? I'm so curious. Could he at some point say, you know what? I'm going to buy a compound and I want all my kids living with me. Well, and that's when you get into territories of like, I know you said he's not a polygamist, but that's when you get into some strange territories anyway. Strange for when I use, I won't use the word strange because for most of us it is okay for him. No, but that's a weird scenario. But apparently a lot of the baby mamas do get along and they speak regularly because they're all half brothers, half sisters, right? So they're all related. He did mention once that a lot of his baby mamas are friends. They do get together and they want the, and he wants those kids to get together. They're his children. So they do actually do like play dates and stuff. But what do they tell each other? Do they share notes? Do the women ever hook up? Do the women ever hook up? Sure. There's lots of questions. I, uh, it's kind of fascinating and, and I do find it very, very interesting. I don't know if it's any of my business per se no, or if it's any of anyone's business, yeah. but either way, this is not what we're used to to seeing. So the fact that this is happening right in front and so publicly in front of everybody, it kind of warrants a conversation, doesn't it? What I will say though. How'd you do that? Listen, what I will say, and I- How'd you convince that many women to do that? I say this when it comes to people, anybody, anybody out there having a lot of children. It's not for me. If you have the means to create a good life for those children and you're going to raise them right- to be kind people, to be generous people, all the things that, you know, we should be raising our kids to do, then I actually, I don't have a problem with it. I'm not going to sit there and protest it. As long as these children are being raised, right? With a, and obviously they're going to have, like you mentioned, he's got money. They have, they're going to have a proper roof over their head, hopefully a good education to come and all of the things that it'll come with. So that's what, that's the reason why I don't hate it. When couples start having a ton of kids and they don't have the means for it. And then these kids end up in terrible situations because of that. That's when I have a problem with it. And you can go ahead and at me. I, I don't care. I just think it's really irresponsible when, when couples like have a million children and they have no means to care for them.
Hmm. I don't think that makes me a bad person to I think don't think that it does way. either. No. Uh, but Nick Cannon does have the means. So really, yeah, it's none of our business, but... Damn, aren't we all a little curious? We're going to actually speak uh, tomorrow on our morning show. If you end up listening, uh, maybe you listen to us uh, Fresh 93.1 and Barry. Maybe you've listened before to 91.5 The Beat. Throw the radio on tomorrow morning. I think just after 9 a.m. we'll chat with Ian at Cohen Hiley about this. I'm curious if let's say you. Okay, we shouldn't use you as an example. Please, you have, God, you have don't use me. You, no, no. I have enough shit to let's deal with. Let's say we have a friend <laughs> who is looking at what Nick Cannon's doing and going, I want to get on, on that. Do the rules change in Canada in terms of is there legal paperwork? Is this even allowed? Because we know that you can't pay a surrogate in Canada. Wouldn't this be kind of similar in a way? But he's actually having sex with him, right? So it is a little different. Anyway, we're going to ask him a ton of questions. So just after 9 a.m., you can catch that on 91.5 The Beat tomorrow. Maybe he's got some interesting answers for us. Kat, today is National Seatbelt Day. Oh, seatbelts are very important. It's funny, we do the national days, and some of them are about food, and some of them are about booze, and it's fun, and stuff like that. Seatbelt ones, though, I mean, this is just to draw awareness. And maybe you're asking, who needs awareness drawn to wear a seatbelt? Maybe you're even saying, you deserve whatever happens if you don't wear a seatbelt. Not so fast. One of the goals of this year's National Seatbelt Day campaign is not just to remind us that, uh, click it or tick it. When you get in the car, make sure you pull over the bar. Make sure you've got your seatbelt on. <laughs> right. There's all kinds of different expressions sure, sure. for it. One of the things they learned in doing research over the last couple of years is even those of us who are stalwart supporters of the seatbelt, who just feel naked without it on in the car, I put mine on even if I'm not moving. I get in the car, I put my seatbelt on, even if I have no intention of going anywhere right away. I've got to set the GPS or anything because it's the first thing I do. <laughs> you put your seatbelt on and set a GPS or and you're not even going to go anywhere? Well, no, I'm going to set the GPS if I'm going to drive the car. And I, I'm just saying that some people put it on right before they drive. For me, it's as soon as it's I get the in the vehicle. the first thing you do. First That's the thing first I thing. do. Yeah, yeah. So that being the case, you're a pretty good seatbelt operator. But... There's still a circumstance where the majority of us do not wear a seatbelt. What could that be? When would I always wear a seatbelt? Nope. Uber, ride shares. It's amazing how many people will mm -hmm. get in the back thinking they're safer and not wear a seatbelt. Mm. That's a scary thought just because do you know that driver? Do you know how well they drive? I mean, you, you trust that that driver is a good driver. But I've seen some not-so-safe ones, Scott. I've been in the car with some not-so-safe ones before. So that's kind of a scary thought. That said, though, I think I'm one of those people. You've gotten I, in I, an Uber and not put a seatbelt on, I, was, I would assume. I was I was in the back seat, and there was three of us at the in the back seat, one in the front, in the passenger seat. We got in the Uber, and I was going from uptown to downtown. It was uh, not that long of a ride, but it was one of those nights where we just didn't want to walk all the way. <laughs> so we hop in and that was kind of our excuse and thought because all three of us in the back didn't. And also because we were all three kind of squashed in there, we thought it was like a Civic or something. We we're like, nah, we're not going to put our seatbelts on. It's fine. And we kind of all agreed to it. Like, nah, are you doing it? Nah, I won't do it. But what a silly thing because like for me driving, if I would feel naked if I didn't have my seatbelt on. Like just awkward, naked, don't like it. Even when I'm moving my car, let's say I have to like change up my parking spot on the driveway or something. I'll put my seatbelt on to do that for two seconds. I'll do it. But when I'm in the back, when I was in the back of an Uber once, it's true. I was totally guilty of it. I just assumed I, everything's going to be fine here. I'm only in this car for like five minutes. It's fine. Huh? That's bad. I mean, it's nothing to be proud of for sure. Limos are the same thing, right? Nobody puts a 
seatbelt on when they get anyone, in a limo. I don't think anybody does. I've never seen it. I've never seen it happen. Actually, I don't even. I didn't even know if they had. Did they have seatbelts? In a limo? I don't. I've never mm. actually looked. They you probably just do. Get in but... and assume you're safe. Yeah. You should pad the walls in those things just in case. Uh, either way, they do want all of us to pay attention. We should. Even when it's not our vehicle, make sure you've got your seatbelt on. Oh, and happy National Seatbelt Day. Yeah. We don't say happy that enough. Happy National Seatbelt Day. <laughs> Uh, You and I have talked in the past about how our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, is really, really good at at giving a a creative answer when he gets asked a question. And he did it again this weekend. And I'll be damned if I can figure out what the hell he was trying to say. But he's overseas. He was at the Aishan conference. uh, Is he in Bali or something right now? Now he's in Bali with the foreign affairs minister. Melanie Jolie, they're having fun at the G20 summit at the moment. However, Trudeau, uh, when he was at the Aishan conference, mm-hmm. had to answer questions from international media. They're not necessarily as PM friendly as the Canadian media is. Oh. And he got asked a very pointed question about something that we've already debated in our Canadian parliament. This is a minute and a half long. Try and follow along with what the prime minister is saying here. Today you took an emotional tour of Cambodia's Genocide Museum. Tomorrow you're going to be at the G20 with China. Now the Canadian Parliament has already called China's treatment of the Uyghurs a genocide, so why haven't you? Oh shit. (laughs) Oh no. As I've seen when I visited the Shoah Memorial, Holocaust Memorial in Israel, as I've seen as I visited the Holocaust Memorial, the the Genocide Memorial in Rwanda, as I saw today visiting uh, and seeing the history of the genocide that happened here in Cambodia. Oh no. No boy. genocide. Acts of genocide are things to be taken incredibly seriously. Yes, we should take genocide seriously. As a a world, world. we have um, objective, historical, uh, expert processes. Oh, we have processes that are expert and historical. To put in place those words and those designations. We continue to call out vicious human rights abuses around the world, including against the Uyghurs. Uh, in Xinjiang by the Chinese government. The designations of genocide need to be made by uh, proper uh, international authorities. Okay, you, you know what I don't understand? slow to eat up time? He does. I'm convinced <laughs> he does. I don't understand, Justin. Like, this was an easy one. You got asked a question and it seemed hard on the surface, but it wasn't. All you had to do is say, I don't need to say genocide. The Canadian government has spoken. We voted on it in Parliament, and if I'm not mistaken, it was unanimous in calling it genocide. That's all you have to do. Parliament already said it. You didn't need to do a minute and a half of... uh, It's amazing that he got back to the right answer. In, In case you were keeping track, I was. It was a four and a half second answer that came out at a minute and 39 seconds. Wow. Wild. That guy is just a master linguist. I'll tell you that. Uh, Okay, let's get to the news of this morning. This does affect all of us. And if it doesn't affect you yet, it likely will soon. This was This Morning at Queen's Park. 
Good morning. I would like to thank uh, Dr. Chris Simpson for being here today and providing Ontarians with an update on the extraordinary pressures facing our health system and the actions that Ontario Health is taking to provide additional care in the pediatric system, specifically for children under five. The ongoing circulation of COVID-19 in our communities in conjunction with the earlier than normal rise in influenza and respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, is a situation not seen before but is being experienced across the Western Hemisphere. Seasonal influenza activity is fully underway with the percentage of respiratory tests that are positive now at 14.5%, up from 10.3% just one week ago. Current percent positivity for RSV is at 6.4% in Ontario, but has been increasing over several weeks. While our COVID-19 percent positivity has been decreasing, it remains high at 14.2%, and sustained activity is anticipated due to the emergence of BQ1 and BQ.1.1 Omicron subvariants. What we are facing is a triple threat that requires our collective action in action to protect the most vulnerable in our communities, the very young, the very old, and those with underlying medical issues. Is it weird, by the mm. way, that we went from all of this started with COVID? I mean, before COVID, yeah. there had never been a serious recommendation or mandate that we wear masks. Yeah. But we did it because of COVID. And the one thing about COVID is it was never a danger to young kids. By and large, young kids who did happen to get it would not face a severe outcome. Now it's weird that we still kind of got COVID, but now there is something going around that he's about to explain is dangerous for kids under five. And it is going around a lot. A so lot. many people have Yeah, it. absolutely. It's, uh, I don't know. I mean, you'll, are we playing a little bit more of this? Yeah, I'll let okay, him finish it up. Let's do that. And to ensure that our healthcare system remains able to care for Ontarians when they need it. I am reminding Ontarians to get back to using all the layers of protection that we know work to keep ourselves and other, others healthy. We should all be screening daily for signs of illness and stay home when you are sick. Good advice. Yes. Always practice yeah. good hand hygiene and regularly clean yes. high-touch services, which yes. is especially important for RSV and flu viruses. Mm -hmm. Stay up to date with your vaccines. Uh -huh. Get your COVID-19 bivalent booster dose and your flu shot. Both are safe and effective and can be received at the same time. By the way, I don't know if you saw it or not, but again this weekend we threw out millions of doses of vaccine that had expired because nobody yeah. wanted it. Nobody wanted it. This year's flu vaccine appears to be a good match to the dominant circulating strain, which is influenza A, H3N2, so we anticipate the vaccine being able to decrease your risk of being hospitalized for this virus. Influenza activity is increasing across Ontario. More than half of children 5 to 17 years old being tested in emergency departments and hospitals are positive already for influenza. I'm asking Ontarians, especially children 6 months of age and older, pregnant individuals, families and caregivers with young children, healthcare workers and elderly and those with underlying health conditions to get your flu shot as soon as possible. You, everybody heard that, right? 
Mm-hmm. The uh, He wants everyone to get a flu mm-hmm. shot. This is different, though. I mean, most of the messaging until now has been on the COVID vaccine. Uh, all right, all right. He wants everybody well, to get a flu shot. Yeah, I think that eliminating the amount of people in the ERs is helpful, any amount that you can do. So if you're eliminating those with flu from being in there, great. If you're eliminating those with COVID symptoms or or whatever, great. And then, of course, there's the RSV, which are which is affecting all kinds of hospitals, but children's hospitals especially. Protect themselves and those around them. The best way to prevent the flu is by getting the flu shot every year. You can also get your COVID booster safely at the same time for those over five. With the peak of flu season expected in early to mid-December, the time to get your shot is now. Please, please do not delay. It is not too late to get protected. And in response to the worsening trends and existing challenges for our healthcare system, I'm strongly recommending that all Ontarians, not just those at high risk, wear a mask in indoor public settings, especially around our most vulnerable Ontarians, the very young and the very old. I'm also recommending that if possible, children between two and five wear a mask with supervision if they can tolerate the mask and safely put it on and off. Mm. Applying all these layers of protection will help to protect ourselves, our families, and most importantly, our children under five. It is our youngest children, those under five, who are especially vulnerable to severe outcomes from RSV and COVID and influenza. And we need to ensure that we take all the necessary steps to keep them safe. When it comes to RSV, While it is a known seasonal virus, it is highly infectious, is a major cause of respiratory illness in infants and children. Over 20% of children under one year of age have tested positive in the emergency departments and hospitals for RSV. Why are these kids at the emergency room with RSV? Why are they not Mm -hmm. at family doctors and walk-in clinics who are perfectly capable of dealing with this? Well, I think that they're overrun too. If If my daughter, who's three, let's say... Uh, had RSV and I knew she was struggling to, I mean, you're talking about a respiratory infection. I can't get Tylenol first and foremost or Motrin or Advil or you fucking name it. I can't get it right now. If all of those things are true, my child seems to be like having trouble breathing I call my family doctor and they can't get us in. You bet your ass I'm going to the ER. Of course I am. Yeah, I mean, I get that parents want treatment options. I just thought we have a multi-layer system here and it starts with your family doctor. And if you can't get in to see your family doctor, just go to a walk-in clinic. And if you can't get into a walk-in clinic, you could call telehealth. There's a lot of options before you end up. No, there's so many options that are shit in this fucking province. And I've learned so, so much about that in the last year, about how terrible our system really is. It's, it, and in the people working in it, by the way, it's not even their fault at all. They are victims to the system that our government has put in place. They wish that it was better. I've spoken to doctors about this and nurses about this all the way through and pharmacists for the for crying out loud. All of them are not a fan of the way this is run. We do not have a good system. Telehealth is uh, not good. Like I've used it before and I'm just like, why do I bother? Because they'll just tell you to go to the ER or toward to go to your doctor. And, and again, that's the reason why you might be calling to begin with. That's a waste of your fucking time because you're on hold for hours. Our system's not good, Scott. It's really, really bad. And I don't blame people for going to the ER. When it comes to your children, you should never feel bad about double checking. Now, when there's adults that are like willy nilly, like maybe I should go get checked out, but I seem seem fine. Stop taking up spots in the ER. If you know you're going to be fine. Stop. If you know you're not going to die tonight, (laughs) like staying at home, 
then do your best to try to recover at home. However, the ER is there for those reasons. If you're worried about your child, always, 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 always get medical help in whatever way that means. And unfortunately in Ontario, since our system is shit, as I mentioned, that might be the ER. Let's hear just a little bit of the questioning here from the media. Up there and happy to take questions. Dr. Moore, I mean, this of course has ignited a raging debate about the merits of masking. Should it be mandatory? Can you explain why you're not going one step further and making masking mandatory? So part of my responsibility as a Chief Medical Officer of Health is to inform Ontarians. And I think the first step is educating. It's not just COVID-19 anymore. We are dealing with the complexity of COVID-19, influenza, and RSV. And I'm very concerned that children uh, are being admitted to our hospitals and are in our intensive care units, principally four and under, that cannot mask. So everyone around them, the parent, the sibling, the grandparent, I'm urging them to protect the most vulnerable of us, our children, by adhering to all the layers of protection. What might be a cold to you can lead to a severe respiratory infection in a child four and under. So there is a complexity now that it's important that all Ontarians understand and we have to get back to the basics. If you have children and you yourself has a cold, uh, that can be a serious and significant respiratory illness in a two-year-old or three-year-old. So as we go indoors, my principal message today is to protect our children, follow all the layers of protection, our hospital system needs us to protect our children more and more. And it's not just masking, it's the layers of protection. You know what I don't understand here, and I'll let him finish this nonsense in a sec. I I don't understand when it comes to the masking mandate, A, how anyone could demand that someone else be forced to do something. I would think that after the last year of what we've gone through, we've all realized that we all appreciate certain things and we don't want to be told what to do in certain cases. In this case, I can't figure out if this is to protect hospital capacity, which is the reason they said we went through all this shit with COVID. Is this to protect hospital capacity or to prevent severe outcomes? Because nearest I can tell, RSV is very, very, very treatable. You just need to see a medical professional who's going to write you a script and you'll be on your way. Now, I don't know, though, are are we all asked to wear masks to keep kids safe? Because that's the messaging that he's going with. We need to keep kids safe and they're susceptible to this RSV. If they do happen to catch it, and apparently millions of them have, Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody's dying from this, right? Like, this is just, it makes them sick. They feel like crap for a week. uh, But then afterwards, they're going to be fine as soon as they get the drugs. I'm not sure what the ask is or what the goal is here. Is it to prevent severe outcomes or is it just to preserve hospital capacity? Do you know Probably a mix of both. I mean, I'm sure they'd be happy with not having as many people in the ER and hospital capacity improving. And also not passing this along to anybody and severe outcomes. Have they considered ordering the doctors to go back to work and reopen their family practices? Because there's still a ton of them that are not seeing patients. Could that be part of it? Are the walk-ins overrun too? I, I really don't know. I haven't gone to check out the kid landscape of healthcare in Ontario recently. But I have to think that this is a, a relatively controllable situation here. Mm-hmm. Here's the rest of that answer. If you have any symptoms of infection, you should mask around those that are most vulnerable to our uh, individuals. You should be screening on a daily basis. 
Good hand hygiene is going to be exceptionally important with RSV and influenza. It's a call to vaccinate against influenza and COVID as there's no vaccine against RSV. We need to protect our health system. We need to protect each other. And it's really getting back to all of those basics. We need a, a reboot, a reminder of what will keep us safe for the rest of the winter season. Uh, and today's the key message of getting back to the basics of protecting our most vulnerable. This is different than COVID. This is protecting our children and those that are the youngest of of us. Please, parents, grandparents, siblings, if you have any respiratory symptoms, you must mask around those that are vulnerable. Masking in, in uh, mandatory masking in a certain venue may help decrease the risk at a community level, but I'm very concerned about our children and protecting our, our children right now, and it's best that we protect them through masking in the home environment uh, and in any social situation as we go into what will be a very social environment in winter. Do you, do you expect compliance? Because you are still, you're urging this, but you're making it voluntary. Do you expect the majority of people to comply? Because if, if you go on the TTC now, and, and this message has been circulating for a while, the majority are not masking. I certainly hope Ontarians will heed the call. They've done brilliantly in the last three years, the last thousand days of COVID. Uh, this is new though. This is a new call to protect those that are the most vulnerable around us. So uh, a mask uh, in a, uh, a mall will help diminish the community spread of these viruses. But I need, we need us to mask around those most vulnerable in social settings, which mandates haven't worked for in the past. Uh, at family gatherings, at family social situations, we have have to mask to protect those that are the youngest among us, those that are four and under. I spoke uh, to Dr. Cohen, the CEO of Hospital for Sick Children, yesterday, and I'm very sorry to say that half the children in the intensive care unit ventilated right now have RSV and half have influenza. Those two uh, can be diminished by masking around our most vulnerable, our children, uh, in, in our home situations, in our social situations. Yes, I think he's got the right balance here. Now, I have no doubt that he's going to jump into a, an overreach at some point and try and mandate the masks. I don't know if that's going to work this time. And there's going to be people just like me. I, I mean, I'm listening to that thinking, I don't have any contact with kids. I'm never in a social setting with kids. And if I were feeling symptomatic in any way, I would wear a mask anyway. So this doesn't seem to apply to me. If the whole goal here oh. is to protect the youngest people, this, I, it doesn't really matter to me. If they mandate it, there's going to be a, a lot of backlash. I mean, the CBC, the CBC did an online poll this weekend asking people, is it time to bring back mask mandates? And it was almost 80% that said no. And those are CBC readers. So I, I have to think that he's going to face an uphill battle if he tries to bring it back. Uh, I, I, this is probably the right balance. We're strongly urging it. Here's the information. Parents, if you have kids under four or under five at home, you're going to want to wear a mask to try and protect them with from whatever virus it is that won't really bother you that much, but it could have an impact on them. Everyone else? I don't know. I, I don't feel a big compulsion at the moment when I go to Walmart on my way home to pick up some granola bars to wear a mask. And I don't know that that's actually what he's asking people to do, is he? Or is it just mm -hmm. for parents or people that work with or or have young kids. I'm yeah, not quite I mean, sure. I think that we all know how how illness can spread. I mean, you could get it and you could pass it to me. Who do I pass it to? My kids. 
So, I mean, you do have connections to children. Everybody does. Okay, but Whether, at some point, you, know you got to draw the six degrees of separation line. I mean, I don't have a direct contact. I work with people I'm who I'm just do, giving but... an example, by the way. I'm not saying, you bet your ass, you better mask up everybody. Like, again, I'm, I mean, I'm glad they're giving people choices. Me, for myself, as a parent with young kids, yeah, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, maybe I'm second guessing bringing them to this place this time around. Um, especially, as he said, a lot of kids under four don't really tend to keep their masks on long, if at all, um, which is why you might remember when masks were mandated, it was children over five. That's it. Um, and because under five, good freaking luck. It's like not going to happen. But as a parent, you got to make those decisions too. I need to be, I need to try my best to look at these scenarios and say, okay, what makes sense for me? Hey, that birthday party they're supposed to go to, you know, maybe we'll pass on it because I don't want to risk getting sick. You know, that's one example. But yeah, I think when it comes to everybody, we could all make our own choices and we all should make our own choices, but absolutely be mindful of who's around you. It's much like COVID in the beginning when it came to the elderly Yeah, is what RSV is now, right? For young people. So at the time I was not around anyone elderly often. Mm-hmm. Um and so for me, I thought the same way. But the truth is I could spread it to someone who could give it to someone else. So, I mean, I was glad that I, I masked up for that reason. We know it's cold and flu season. We know shit's going to go around. Make choices that make sense for you. I know a lot of people that have caught, whether it's RSV, flu, or, or anything, maybe ask them, hey, would you? Knowing, what you? knowing what you know now and having gone through that, even if it is just a bad flu and you were not hospitalized or anything, but it was just a bad flu, would you have maybe tried to mask up? Maybe they'll say yes. So maybe it's in our best interest. That's how I see it. Or maybe this is just one of those things that you need to get when you're younger. I think at some point, everybody is going to contract RSV at some point. This uh, appears to be particularly virulent for the young, young, young people, those under five years old. And it could, again, go back to that debate that we talked about at the beginning of the pod, immunity debt. Is there a, a... portion of the population that's susceptible to RSV that's been masked for two years and didn't develop some of the common immunities that we all develop every single day. Uh, it's hard to say, but I'm curious to see how this unfolds. Best guess, by Christmas, will there be a mask mandate in Ontario or are they going to wait till the new year? Mm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say no, there won't be a mask mandate. Interesting. Guys, that does it for us. Have yourselves a fantastic Monday. If there's any more fallout from this, and I'm sure there will be, we'll have it tomorrow. Uh, We're also going to be watching what else happens today with our local government Mm -hmm. because they're going to do a financial update. And if you'll recall, in the last budget, they forecast a $33 billion deficit. $33 billion. But then when the fiscal update came around, it was a $2.1 billion surplus. Well, that's a $35 billion swing, and I'd kind of like to know, how the fuck did that happen? So we might get some answers about that today. The gas tax cut has been extended for a year, so that's good, but that's going to cut into provincial revenues. We'll talk about that tomorrow and uh, a few other things as well. Have yourselves a fantastic Monday. See you later. His first address to Twitter employees, Elon Musk said that bankruptcy is a possibility. Answering the question, what's the opposite of a motivational speech? (laughs) Twitter also suspended the launch of Twitter Blue because so many users were paying to be verified then impersonating other people. Seriously, it's a mess over there. I knew the impersonations were a problem when Pope Francis slid into my DMs. (laughs) Nearly half a billion dollars was spent in California on campaigns aimed at legalizing sports gambling online but failed by a wide margin, said supporters of the bill. Okay, double or nothing. I read that almost every major cryptocurrency is crashing. Turns out fake money is not as valuable as you think. 
A woman in Delaware won $400,000 after hitting back-to-back -back lottos in the same day. But the woman says she's still going to keep her day job forging lottery tickets. <laughs> the After 9 podcast is powered by Tony Johal, broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.